Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. I want to uh, share this morning about uh, something I believe the Lord has put on my heart. And uh, basically, you know, I've been reading the Word recently and I, I got myself a brand new Bible this week. And uh, that's kind of cool. I was like, yo, got myself a new sword. And uh, it's funny, the, the first thing I did when I read this Bible was I sung the national anthem that was at the front. It's from the New Zealand Bible Society. I was like, what the heck's the national anthem doing in the Bible? So I had a quick, you know, sing of that. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, yep, that's weird. Okay, all good. Anyway, uh, but you know, so I've been reading the Word. And then um, the first thing, I, the first scriptures that I read in my new Bible was in uh, Mark chapter 5. And um, it's all about faith, and it's all about God healing, and God providing, and uh, God protecting His people, and those that cry out to the Lord, uh, you know, God heals. And, you know, as I, you read through the Word, and you read through the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you, you begin to realize that, you know, there are moments of faith, and there are moments where God comes in, and He, you know, Jesus, when He's walking here on the earth, He provides for His people. And those that cry out to God, man, He heals and He protects. And uh, that's exciting. And you know, as you read right throughout the, the Bible, uh, there are men and women of God that carry passion. And men and women of God that don't settle for the status quo, that they stand out, that they're bold, they're zealous, they're passionate about the things of God. And you know, these men and women... Uh, you know, it's exciting to read because they're the ones that step out. They're the ones that may look a little bit weird. They may look, you know, make people uncomfortable because they do crazy things for the Lord. But these are the very people that get the breakthrough. These are the very people that God uses to uh, impact nations, to save people, to heal people. And, you know, sometimes in church life, we can get consumed about doing church and that we get consumed about, you know, the way we do things and, you know, just coming up and turning up to church on Sunday 10 a.m. and we come and we praise the Lord and we listen to the word and we may respond to the altar call and then we'll go have lunch and then we'll go do our thing. And that's it. But I want to tell you this, the Christian life is so much more. and so much more than a service on a Sunday. It's so much more than youth on Friday. It's so much more than a prayer meeting throughout the week. I'll tell you this, the Christian life is a lifestyle. You know, that we give our lives to the Lord. That it's not just about turning up to church and ticking a box. No, no, no. It's our life fully devoted and surrendered to Jesus. That we're not concerned about different things that get thrown our way. You know, financial struggles, health battles, pandemics, these things. I'll tell you this, that Jesus Christ protects His people. He is our provider. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And you know, this morning, uh, I want to share a couple examples from the word about people that are passionate about the things of God and how God used them. You know, they're passionate about encountering Him, passionate about praising Him, about getting their healing, getting their breakthrough. And, you know, I'm going to uh, share about this this morning. And I've called it the passionate ones, the ones that are passionate about the things of God. So basically, when we look about, and, you know, we read the Bible and we look at those that are passionate about the things of God, there are different characteristics. And, you know, I've broken it down this morning. One of the characteristics that, uh, you know, I really feel is the characteristic of hunger. Not natural hunger, but spiritual hunger. Where men and women of God are hungry for the things of the Lord. 
that they are passionate about seeing God move, that they are hungry, that they're not satisfied. You know, when you are like naturally hungry and you want food, you're going to, you know, it's like when you're not hungry, you can kind of decide, you know, okay, I might want this, I might want that, let's go here to eat, let's go here. But when you're hungry, you'll just take anything. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll eat that, whatever it is, I'm going to eat it because I'm hungry. And it's like that with the things of God, you know, sometimes we can get complacent and we can get comfortable and it's like, oh, yeah, I'll have this. Um, no, you know, I won't turn up to the prayer meeting and I won't turn up to that, but, but I'll have that on a Sunday. You know, that's a good message. I agree with that, but, you know, I'll skip out on the altar call because that's a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, I'll tell you this, when you're hungry for the things of God, you want everything. You just want it and you want it. And, you know, the, I'll tell you this, God comes to those who want Him. God will go where he is wanted. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And just like us, if we go to a, someone's house where nobody wants us at all, where it's like, oh, Zach's here, gosh, like, you know, I'm not going to want to go there because like, oh, I'm not wanted there. But if I go to a house where it's like, oh yeah, Zach, come in. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. I'm going to want to go there. That's like all of us. But that's like the Holy Spirit. When he is wanted and we put an expectation and a want for him, we are hungry after him. We welcome him in. He's going to come. But if we're too focused about living our life and doing our things and we don't welcome him in, he's not going to come. But it's the, the hunger that we have for the things of God. God responds to our hunger, man. Like When we are passionate about the things of God and we are hungry after his presence, he will come and he'll respond to that hunger for us. And what's more attractive? To God is our hunger. It's not about doing works. It's not about, you know, coming to church and, like I said before, ticking that box. No, no, no. It's about carrying a hunger where we actually want Him, and that's attractive to God. God is attracted to our hunger. God wants us to want Him. He, God wants a relationship with us more than we ever want a relationship with Him. He, he created us to have a relationship with Him. Sometimes we feel like, oh God, please come, please come, please come. God will come. God's going to move if you want Him. We don't have to strive. We don't have to say, oh God, just please, 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 please. I'll just tell you this. Just say, God, come. I want you. I want you, Holy Spirit. You are welcome. And I'll tell you this. God responds to that. And you know, our greatest desire should be to encounter the Lord. That should be our greatest desire. More than money, more than our careers, more than our businesses, more than our families, more than anything else should be to encounter the Lord. Because when we encounter God, everything else is sorted out. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. When you seek God, number one, all your family problems, your business problems, your health problems, your financial problems, these things get taken care of. See, sometimes we get it backwards. We, we switch it around. Say, so, oh, no, 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 my family needs me. My business needs me. I need to invest more time into my business. My career, I need to work harder. I need to provide more money. I'll tell you this, that's backwards. God needs you. And when you put God first, can, is God not big enough to take care of your family? And I think sometimes we think we have too much power. We think it's all on us, that I need to do this for my family and I need to bring in the money. Can we not trust God to do that? Can we not trust God to protect our children? Can we not trust God to bring money into our bank accounts? to open up opportunities and doors, give us business ideas that we'd never think of outside of Him. And God will provide for His children. And so our biggest desire and greatest desire should be to encounter the Lord and to be hungry after Him. 
Is that good this morning? All right, so we've got hunger. The next characteristic of the passionate ones is expectation. We place an expectation on the Lord. You know, sometimes we can turn up to church and we have zero expectation for God to move. And, you know, sometimes I think we need to begin to come to church expecting God to move. Because when we place an expectation on the Lord, He responds to that expectation. And when we come in and we actually say, hey God, I want to encounter you. God, this morning, I want to feel your presence. You know, that's when He responds. That's when He comes in. In Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first came to the earth, what you look at where they were. Basically, the, uh, the New Testament disciples and the apostles, they were gathered together, and it says this, in one place, in one accord. What were they doing? They were gathered together expecting the Holy Spirit to come. They placed an expectation on the Lord to come. And that expectation was met by the Holy Spirit coming in power, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. That was the first uh, movements of the Holy Spirit here on earth, the day of Pentecost. That came when they were in one place and one accord expecting God to come. God will always meet our expectation. When we expect Him, He will arrive. And sometimes we can do church without God. Sometimes we turn up and God's the last thing on our mind. You know, we don't actually want to meet Him. We don't actually expect to meet Him. But I'll tell you this, when we place an expectation, when we get ready in the morning and we say, God, you know what, this morning at church, I want to meet you. God, I want to feel you. God, I want to hear your voice. Lord, I want revelation. Lord, my, my life is messed up. I need your help. God, come. God, move. God, minister. God, heal. I'll tell you this, when we expect God to come, He will meet us. We place that expectation on Him. You know, I want, like, when we think about, like, we go to Impacting the Nations Conference every year in April in Christchurch, and it's a powerful time, man. The Holy Spirit moves. People are down in the power of God. You know, it's just a time where we encounter God. And I wonder why it's at a conference and why it's at certain events that God moves in deeper ways. And I'll tell you why. It's because people place a bigger expectation on a conference. People have traveled in from overseas. People have paid lots of money to get there. They've taken time off work. They've had to organize babysitters. They've, you know, all these things. So people have put a big sacrifice to coming to a conference. And so they expect God to come because they've put a big, like it better be worth it. They've paid the money to get there. But I'll tell you this, there's an expectation that is placed. And when everybody is in one place, in one accord, and we are expecting God to move, He comes. He comes powerfully. But I'll tell you this, God doesn't just have to move at a conference. God doesn't have to move at a big gathering. God can move right in your prayer life if you expect Him to come. Right in your home, right in your bedroom, when you pray and read the Word, God can come, God can move. You just have to put an expectation on Him. We just have to hunger after Him. I'll tell you this, that when the Lord comes and we have expectation, He responds. He comes to our hunger. We need to just expect it. We need to come in almost requesting the Lord to move. We come in and minister to Him. I think some of us, we need to renew our mindset. We've done church for so long. We turn up and we just, you know, do our thing and then we go our separate ways. What we need to do is to raise our expectation to actually say, hey God, I want to meet you today. God, I want to encounter you. God, I'm sick of boring church. I'll tell you this, 
Church without God is boring. Church without the presence of God, with all due respect, is a waste of time. Why? Because we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we turn up to a church and God's not here, what are we doing? We're just singing songs to who? Singing songs to a God that's not here? But I'll tell you this, where the presence of the Lord is, that's where we should be. And when God is in this place, I'll tell you, there's no other place we should rather be. When we encounter the Lord, when we feel His anointing, when we feel His presence, that's what we chase after. That's what we hunger after. And I'll tell you this, that should be our biggest desire. That should be our biggest hunger. And I'll say this, what do we carry? What do we bring to the house of God? You know, some people carry bigger spiritual temperatures than the other. You know, we come in and we expect God. I'll tell you this, we bring a bigger demand on the things of God. And I'll tell you this, God responds to that hunger. When you've got Johnny up the back, he's over there, and he, his life might not be all together, but he expects something from the Lord, God will respond to that. You've got someone out on the crushed coral out there, and they were, they're expecting God to move. I'll tell you, God responds to that. When you bring your expectation, I bring my expectation, your hunger, your faith, along with my hunger and my faith, we bring it, it's like we're putting logs on the fire. You bring your logs, I bring my logs, and together the fire is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and God moves, God comes powerfully. I'll tell you this, hunger and expectation on the things of God is what is attractive to Him. He responds to that hunger, Amen. That is good. God will move when we expect Him to move. All right, the next characteristic is faith. Faith. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And uh, if we can turn there in our Bibles. And this is a story uh, when Jesus is uh, moving through the land here on earth. And uh, the woman comes up to Him that has got the issue of blood. And uh, in verse you know, 25 of chapter 5, it says this, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. 12 years. 12 whole years. Chapter 26, uh, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had spent everything she had to try heal this condition. Nothing was getting better. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she had thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? Verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then, he was, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him that what she had done. And, she said to her, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. For 12 whole years, this lady had a condition, constant bleeding. She had spent everything she had, all the money she had earned on doctors and physicians to try to get her well. None of that healed her. 
None of that made her well. It says there, in fact, that even made it worse. Her only hope was in Jesus Christ. She, she had nothing left. And I'll tell you this. This is powerful here. When, Jesus, when she touched the, uh, the hem of Jesus' garment, she reached out. She said, if I can just touch him, if I can just feel his robe. She's saying this, if I can just have one encounter, if I can just have one touch of the presence of God, I will be healed. My condition will be finished. She touches God, and it says, immediately the bleeding stops. Twelve years of bleeding, immediately one touch from the Lord, her bleeding stops. That's the power of our God. But I'll tell you this, the component that got her healing was her faith. Jesus says it there. says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. She was passionate about getting her healing. She was passionate about the bleeding to stop. She was passionate about those 12 years of suffering to come to an end. And I'll tell you this, it wasn't the, uh, you know, her, her intellect, it wasn't her skills, it wasn't her education, it wasn't her finances that got her well, it was her faith. She, all she did was she just believed that she was going to be healed and God came and immediately the bleeding stopped. It was the faith that she carried. I'll tell you this, faith is the currency of heaven. That's what we exchange in the things of the Spirit, it's faith. Often we can come and we be like, oh, this, got, this person's got this degree. They're so smart. They're educated. They've got a big career. You know, they've got all the certificates that have got their sign names. I'll tell you, that means nothing in the spirit. All those things are great to get. And, you know, I'm, you know it's great to be, have knowledge and to get educated. Absolutely, 100% agree with that. I'm doing it myself. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is the spirit of the Lord. And when you carry faith, I'll tell you this, the most uneducated person that has faith is more powerful than the most educated person with no faith. Why? It's because faith is the currency of heaven. We come to God and we bring our faith. We bring our hunger. We bring our expectation. And I'll tell you this, that is what gets you your healing. That's what will get you your breakthrough. If you're struggling with addictions, sexual addictions, alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever it is, if you're struggling with that, it's not the going to the AA meeting and trying to, you know, you know, just, just let me just get two weeks uh, without touching that stuff. No, 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 no. It's when you one encounter with the Spirit of God will set you free for a lifetime. When you're not struggling, when, you know, the smell of nicotine goes past your nose, you're like, oh, let me just have one more puff. No, no, no. It's not like that. I'll tell you this. When God sets free, you are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. When God sets you free, you don't struggle. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and sets you free from the chains of the demonic, I'll tell you this, you are free indeed. You don't need to worry about, you know, turning back or going back to my old ways. No, no, no. God heals you. God sets you free. It's done. 2,020 years ago on the cross of Calvary, Jesus won the battle against sin. He won the battle against death. He won the battle against disease. And I'll tell you this, that when we carry faith, God responds to that. The Bible says this, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So that means if we don't have faith, we can't actually please God. It's impossible to please the Lord if we don't have faith. If we don't believe God is going to heal, if we don't believe God will protect us, if we don't believe God's going to provide for us, it's actually impossible to please Him. If we want to be pleasing before the Lord, the Lord, <laughs> we need to carry faith. We need to carry expectation and hunger. 
Amen? Amen. That's powerful, man. When we carry that faith, God responds. I've got this written down. When the fearful show out, the faith-filled show up. When the fearful, you know, concerned about their situations and what's going on, even with COVID-19, we're super concerned. I'll tell you this. Faith in Jesus Christ, whether we, it's, whether we believe the, either we believe the Bible or we don't. It's all or nothing. It's not we believe certain parts, yeah, I believe God did this, he did that, he did this, but you know, that's a little bit too far. It's either 100% or it's nothing. And I'll tell you this, my God is a healer, he is a protector, and he is a provider. And we don't need to be concerned, we don't need to be worried, we don't need to be, you know, full of anxiety. It says, God has given me a spirit of, spirit of, not a, a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. That word sound mind means no anxiety, no worry. We don't need to be crippled in fear. God has given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That means I'm not plagued with thoughts of anxiety. I'm not plagued with thoughts of depression. I'm not plagued with thoughts of confusion about who I am, about my destiny. I'm not plagued with thoughts of fear about my future, about my health, about my finances. Where's the money going to come from? I've lost my job. What's going to happen? I don't need to worry. Why? Because God is my provider. I trust in Him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns the gold in every mine. The Bible says that. And it's either we are all in or we're all out. And I'll tell you this, people may be fearful, but I'll tell you the sons and daughters of God can be filled with faith, expectation and hunger for God to move. We don't need to be concerned. We don't need to be worried. We proclaim the scriptures. And I'm not promoting being unwise and being silly. And, you know, we, we listen to what authorities say, absolutely, 100%. But we don't need to be crippled with fear. We don't need to be full of anxiety. We, I love what dad said. He says, we do the natural, God does the supernatural. We do what is possible, God does the impossible. So yes, we sanitize and wear masks and all these things, social distance. Yeah, we do the natural, but God does the supernatural. God protects us. God, you know, fills our body. You know, we don't need to be worried about these things, amen? We trust in God. God, we depend on Him. Mark chapter 5, verse 35, it's the very next uh, verse down along. Uh, so right after uh, this lady was healed from her constant bleeding, uh, Jesus was called upon uh, to go and basically uh, pray for a dead child. And this, this scripture here is powerful uh, because, you know, I'll, I'll read it here. It's in verse uh, 36 of chapter 5 of Mark. So, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. So they just told him about the baby that had died. And verse 37 says, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the weeping and the wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all of this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. That's faith. Everyone, the, the baby's passed away. The baby's not breathing, but Jesus says, no, the baby's not dead, only sleeping. He knows what's going to happen. She's going to come back to life. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. 
holding her hand, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They, over, they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders to not tell anyone what had happened. And, he went, and then he told them to go get something to eat. The key part in the scripture here is what I pick up from the scripture is Jesus removed all the people that were weeping and wailing. Jesus removed the doubt. How many people know when you are grieving, you're not in a position of a lot of faith, are you? And it's, you know, you're weeping, you're wailing, you're speaking into the situation of doubt. What did Jesus do? He went in and he removed everybody that carried doubt. He got them out. He only took with him uh, Peter, James, and John. Notice he didn't take Thomas. Thomas was the doubting disciple. Thomas wasn't with them. Thomas was banned. His doubt was banned. He wasn't in the select few. Jesus took those of faith with him. Why? Who you carry is important. Who you surround yourself with is important. If you are surrounding yourself with people that are constantly negative, constantly in fear, constantly criticizing and undermining, constantly gossiping, and talking trash about others, constantly pulling people down, constantly filled with doubt, I'll tell you this, it's hard to live a life of faith. But if you get friends around you that are filled with faith, that believe in the gospel, that raise other people up, that talk positively about others, those are the ones you want to surround yourself with. Why? Because they will increase your faith. The Bible says this, iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. Your faith sharpens my faith. Your belief sharpens my belief. Your hunger, your expectation, that sharpens mine. Together, we get sharper. Together, our faith increases. Together, because our faith increases, we become more attractive to God. And that's important. That's important. And I'll tell you this. Jesus removed those that were doubting. He removed them out. And then he says, behold, she's not, you know, she's not sleeping uh, she, so she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Everyone laughs, everyone mocks, thinks he's a big joke. Jesus is kind of laughing to himself. He says, I'll have the last laugh, thank you very much. He, boom, immediately she gets up. That's what I love in the Bible when it says immediately. Seeing that, immediately the constant blood stopped. Immediately she got up. When the Spirit of the Lord comes immediately into our situation, he moves, which is powerful. I'll tell you this, faith is easy to talk. It's hard to live. It's easy to talk about faith when the money's coming in. It's, it's hard to live by faith when the money stops. It's easy for me to preach faith. It's hard for me to live faith. But I'll tell you this, through the battles and through the trials that we go through in life, how many people know that life is just full of battles? Life is full of trials. If you didn't know that, you've been living in your room playing PlayStation your entire life. Like... <laughs> yeah, well, there's still battles in, you know, Call of Duty. you still got to fight, you know, shoot those guys. But anyway, we are, you know, in life, we face battles. It's just one battle after another battle, after another fight, after another fight. This detour, this hiccup, this bump in the road, it's constant. But I'll tell you this, these battles produce fruit within us, and they produce a faith. When you see God through once, and He comes in, and, you know, God provides that increases your faith. So next time you face a battle, you look back and you be like, you know, remember when you did this, God? Remember when I had no money? I had no money to get food for my family. You provided. You came through. 
God, you're going to do it again, aren't you? You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. And that faith, and God provides again. He comes through. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's continually good. Faithful and true is his name. He can't be anything but good. It's in his nature. It's impossible for God to be bad. There's no badness in our God. He's 100% faithful, 100% consistent. He was and is and is to come. He's never changing. If he was faithful yesterday, he's going to be faithful today. If he was faithful today, he's going to be faithful tomorrow. That's the nature of our God. He loves us. He protects us. He provides for us. And I'll tell you this, that is who our God is. So we can trust in him. Amen. Amen. So we've got hunger. We've got expectation. We've got faith. The next one is desperation. When we're passionate, we get a little bit desperate. Luke chapter 18, verse 38, if we can turn there in our Bibles. This here is a blind man, and uh, he's been blind for a while now. And I'm going to read this out from verse 38. It says this, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So basically he's blind. He doesn't know what the heck's going on. He can't see anything, but he just hears a commotion. And he says to his friends, what's going on? What's happening? And they tell him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38, and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. His friends told him basically, shut up, man. You're embarrassing us. Just keep it down. But what did he say? He yelled out even more. He got a little bit desperate. He said, Son of David, yelled a little bit louder, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. He caught Jesus' attention. Jesus stopped. He was passing by. Jesus stood still and commanded to him to be brought over. And when he said, come near, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do? That always makes me laugh about Jesus, say, Like the guy's blind. He would have been like walking over to him. Clearly Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus, you got a limp? What's going on? You got gout? Like what's happening? No, no, no. He knew he was blind. But he walks over and says, what do you want me to do for you? And then he says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Right there, when he says, Lord, may, that I may receive my sight, he places an expectation on God to get his sight right. Dan's been speaking about this recently. If he had, you know, said, oh, Lord, I've got a flu, a little bit of a runny nose, if that could be gone, that'd be great. And then God, Jesus probably would have just said, okay, flu gone, and he walked away blind, you know. But he said, no, no, Lord, that I may receive my sight. He placed an expectation on God to answer his prayers. And what happened? We read on. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight again. This is it. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Again, we see it. Your faith has made you well. Again, we see it immediately. He received his sight. When we have faith, immediately God responds. Immediately we become attractive to him. I'll tell you this, it's our faith. It's our faith. It's we're placing an expectation on God. 
this man here got desperate. What I love is when his friends told him to be quiet, and then he yells out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. His friends were trying to, you know, keep him. He said, no, 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 I'm not going another day being blind. If I'm going to get my healing, today is the day. I've been far too long not being out. I don't even know what you guys look like. If you want me to see your ugly face, you better get, let me get me healing, you know. You know, <laughs> I need the healing. I need to see. And so he gets his healing. He gets desperate. He pushes out. He pushes past what his friends think. And our lives, we've got to push past what our friends think. Who cares? Who cares what our friends think? Who cares what our relatives think? What our brothers, our sisters, our sons, our daughters, our parents, our grandparents, whoever. Friends, cousins, everyone loves to have an opinion. If you didn't know that, (laughs) you see the eye rolls in the church. People love to talk. It's in the nature of humanity. People always have opinions. People always hold judgment. People love to gossip. People love to slander. People love to talk trash. If you didn't know, welcome to the human nature. Psychology 101. James Cotter notes. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. People love to talk. People, if you do something good, people will talk trash about you. If you do something bad, people do tr- talk trash about you. You can't please anybody. Uh, you can't please everybody. Sometimes you can't please anybody. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you this. We've got to push past all the judgments of people. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're going to die and we're going to sit before one person and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sit before the judgment seat of God. We are not going to care what our friends thought about us. Oh God, I would have done this for you, but you know, my friend was kind of laughing at me so I didn't really want to do it. That's the last thing that's going to be on our mind. We're going to be thinking, God, I am so stupid. I was too concerned about what my friends thought that I didn't serve you. I was too concerned about what other people thought about me. They were laughing, they were mocking, and I didn't serve you. It's funny, <laughs> sometimes we get so consumed about the fear of man that we, fear, uh, that we forget about the fear of God. We, can, we get so concerned about what others think of us, we forget what God thinks of us. But we should be most concerned about what God thinks of us about pleasing the Father, not pleasing our friends, not pleasing our family, pleasing the Lord, pleasing God. There's another story in the Bible, and this one I love is when Jesus is in a house, and the house is full. The house has got, you know, people, Jesus was a popular guy, if you didn't know. Everyone wanted to see Jesus. Everyone wanted their healing. They wanted their breakthrough. And so Jesus was in a house, and the house was completely full, and there was a paralyzed man, and he was on a bed, and he had four guys carrying him on his bed. And he went to the house, and they couldn't get in. There's no room for him to get in with his bed. The people were full in this place. They were listening to Jesus, so he couldn't get in. And so what do they do? They don't just say, oh, you know what, buddy? I think you're just going to have to settle for not being able to walk for the rest of your life, eh? No, no, no. These, these, these were great friends, because what did they do? They went up onto the roof, they ripped off the roof, and they lowered him down in the roof. They, they got a little bit desperate. They got a little bit hungry. This guy was not going to settle for, you know, this was his one opportunity to be able to walk. This guy was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He was on a bed. 
they take him up onto the roof. And you've got to look at it from his perspective. This guy was desperate. He was a passionate one. He was desperate. He was thinking to himself, no, nah, no, nah, not today. Not today. When he saw all those people there, he says, I'm going to get my breakthrough. Uh, this is the last day I'm going to be on this bed. I'm going to burn this thing afterwards because I'm getting my freedom. You know, He's walking around. And I'll tell you this, when he comes in, well, he's not walking around at all. He's paralyzed. But you know, he's coming in. And when God moves and touches him, God heals him. He says, God says, take up your bed and walk. God heals him. But it was from his desperation. He was thinking, I've got to get in that room. I've got to get in that room. I've got to get one touch from that man of God. I don't know all about that man of God, but all I know is he's healing people. And if this is my opportunity to get my breakthrough, you better believe I'm falling from the roof to get that breakthrough. Even though they chuck me down, he'll raise me from the dead, then heal me, then I'll go on my way. You know, he's going to get his breakthrough. He's desperate. Some of us in our lives, we have to get a little bit more desperate. We've struggled for too long with our addictions. We've struggled for too long with our health conditions. We've got to cry out to God to give us a little bit more hunger, a little bit more expectation, and just a little bit more desperation that we seek God's face. Desperation is not pretty. Sometimes we like to stand here, you know, with our hands raised and kind of looking around to see if anyone's looking at us so we don't look a little bit stupid. But I'll tell you this, sometimes we just got to get a little bit more desperate, a little bit more hungry, that we do things out of the box. We do things out of the normal if it means we're going to get our breakthrough. We get a little boogie going on. We get a little dance going on because we want our breakthrough. We begin to pray more. We get up early. We're used to sleeping in at 10 a.m. No, no, no. We're getting up 5 a.m. seeking the Lord. Why? Because we're desperate. Why? Because we want our breakthrough. Why? Because we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're sick of disease. We're sick of illnesses. We're sick of the same old life, walking around, doing the same old thing. I'll tell you this. It's one encounter that may take you getting a little bit more desperate, a little bit more hungry, but it's that one encounter that will set you free, that will put you on the path of righteousness that will, like this man, will get you to get up and walk the rest of your life. Get your healing. We've got to get more desperate. Somebody say something. Amen. <laughs> All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. I love this one. The next characteristic of a passionate one. Undignified. Unashamed. They're undignified before the Lord. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Second Samuel Chapter 6, verse 14. And this is a story of David the psalmist. If you have uh, read the word and you've gone through, you've read about David. And David, a man after God's own heart. David is a powerful man of God in the word. And we're just going to turn there right now. Second Samuel 6, verse 14. And basically, they're bringing in the Ark of the Covenant which is the, uh, back in the Old Testament, that was the dwelling place of the Lord. It was in the Ark of the Covenant, and they were bringing it into the, uh, into the, the town there, into the city. And basically, uh, what, what happened here is the first time they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, they did it in man strength. If you know the story, I'll quickly go over it. Uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, they're bringing it in, and the Ark of the Covenant is uh, basically, it's, it's shaking, it's unstable. And this man thinks that he, he should catch it, they should balance it, as if God needs help to be balanced. 
and immediately as soon as he touches it, he falls dead. <laughs> but it's pretty powerful because why? God doesn't need our help like that. It's like, oh, we're going to do it in man's strength. David didn't seek after the Lord about, you know, who, uh, the way he should bring the Ark of the Covenant in. A man died because of it. He went and sought the Lord and they did it the right way. God spoke to him and they brought the Ark of the Covenant in the right way. This is what I want to get into. When the Ark of the Covenant was coming in, they had a shout of praise. They had trumpets. They had, you know, they were making noise. David was dancing, it says, undignified before the Lord. David, the anointed king, was dancing undignified before the Lord. What does undignified even mean? It means unashamed. It means bold. It means zealous. To me, undignified means a little bit ugly. It means awkward. Because when someone's getting undignified, you're kind of on the side like, okay, yeah, <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, yep, yep, they're doing those dance moves. What's going on? But I'll tell you this, David did not care. David was undignified. He was a passionate one. And I'm going to read this out right now. It says in verse 14, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. With all his might, everything within him, he's dancing before the Lord. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel bore up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of trumpets. We read later in the, in the verse, and our Saul's daughter, Michal, it says, she looked through the window, she looked at David, and she despised him. She despised him. Why? Because he's, he's dancing in, before the Lord, you know, he's going for it, and she despises him. Later down in that, in that chapter, it talks about, uh, she says something to David, she, you know, kind of confronts him, and David says these powerful words. He says this, behold, I will be more undignified than this. I love that passion. He says, you think this is bad? You think this is weird? You wait till I bring out these next dance moves, you know? <laughs> you wait, it's coming, it's coming. And you know what's interesting is you read even further down, it says, because Saul's daughter held and despised David, she no longer had kids the rest of her days. She was made barren. What she did she held a judgment against someone that was praising the Lord, that was undignified. She, you know, she despised him because of it. And because of that, she was made barren. The judgment of the Lord came upon her. Her despising and her judgment didn't bring judgment on David. It brought judgment back on herself. Sometimes we need to be very, very, very careful about the way we look at people when they praise the Lord. Sometimes we're standing there with our arms behind our backs or our, you know, our arms crossed and we're thinking, oh, this guy again. He's praising the Lord like that again. He's yelling again. Oh my gosh, I have to just be normal. Just, you know, just blend in. We're here at church. We're not, this is meant to be comfortable. We're not wanting it to be awkward. You know, all these things. We have these ideas. But I'll say this, that's a dangerous place. Why? When we hold judgment against someone that's passionate for the Lord, I'll just say, you let them be. And you let them be more undignified than that. All right? We're going to let people praise the Lord in this place. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We come in with a shout of praise. We come in, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, the rules and the regulations we place upon people. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Some of us struggle to lift our hands while 
David's dancing in his ephod, you know? It's like, oh, is someone going to see me? There's more levels. You can be bold. You can praise the Lord. You can give a shout of praise. This is a place of praise. This is a place of worship. Amen? God is after passion, man. God is after those that are hungry. He wants those that are undignified, that they don't care what people think. They care what God thinks. Playing it safe won't get your breakthrough. Stepping out will get your breakthrough. Pushing through, pushing past the expectations and the judgments of men, that will get your breakthrough. All right, our last characteristics that, are, that I've got here is that they're full of praise. They are full of praise. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. This is a story of Martha and Mary. This is a powerful story. And um, there's something I want to touch on here if I bring this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. Now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village. And a certain woman, <laughs> a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is indeed, uh, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus visits this home. Two women are in there, Martha and Mary. Mary falls at the feet of Jesus, worshiping uh, worshiping him, listening to his words, listening to his teaching. We have, on the other hand, we have Martha. Martha's too busy cleaning up. Oh my gosh, the Son of Man is here. Let's clean. Blah, blah, blah. Do the dishes. Let's make our house look tidy. She's worried about doing works. If you can see here, there's a difference between worship and works. Mary is worshiping the Lord. Martha is trying to work for the Lord. What I want to get here is sometimes we get so consumed about doing works for God, we forget to worship God. There's a big difference. We come into church and we're too concerned about serving. And I, I believe we should, when we get given a role, we should be excellent with that. Absolutely. We don't just forsake, you know, our coffee baristering job to come and worship. You know, no, we've got a responsibility. But I'll say that sometimes we can get too consumed with our works that we don't worship God. We don't actually begin to praise Him. Passionate ones are full of praise. They're full of life. They're full of worship. Exuberant praise. We come in this place and sometimes we can get so fixed on, okay, I've got to sort this out. You know, we've got to get this. We've got to do that. I've got to sort this and do that, do this, do that. All these things we have to work for. We actually forget to worship God. We forget to honor him. We forget to praise him. We forget to welcome him. And what does Jesus say? Sometimes, and uh, Martha here has good intentions. Martha's not doing anything that she thinks is wrong. She's trying to work and make things clean for the Lord. But God says, no, Mary is doing what is right. She has chosen the good thing, and that is to worship me. Jesus wants us to worship him above working for him, above the, you know, the chores and the rules and the regular, God wants us to worship. That should be a heart. We're full of praise. Passionate ones have praise on their lips. They're positive. They have faith. They speak life. The Bible says this, the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
We have the power to speak life or the power to speak death. You choose what you want to speak. You choose how you want to talk to your kids. Oh, you idiot. Oh, you're just a this, that, the other, this, that, the other. What do they live up to? You're placing an expectation on them to be an idiot. But if you say, no, don't do that, but you're not going to do that because you're a good boy. <laughs> You've got so much potential. We begin to speak life. We speak even like into our situations. If we are facing a battle, don't speak death into the situation. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't afford this. When we were younger and dad and mum, when they brought us up, when, you know, the classic, like you're at Kmart in New Zealand and you want, you know, all the toys, you know, and you're kind of, oh, mum, I want this bike. Can I just get this bike? And mum and dad aren't in a financial position to get it. Mum and dad made this decision. And they said they will never say we can't afford it. Why? Because it put an expectation on us as kids that we were in financial strain, that we can't afford it. We can't have it because we don't have the resources. They never said that. They always distracted us and be like, oh, do you want to do something else? <laughs> have the free ride or, well, I don't know what they're saying. But basically, they never put limitations on our mindset. They never said, oh, you can't have this. You can't do that. Oh, Zach, don't be stupid. You know we can't afford that. They never did that. They always filled us with faith for us to believe. So James, Melody, and myself growing up, we've been blessed to have the mindset that we can go above and beyond, that there's no limitations in Christ. Why? Because we can overcome. We can afford it. God will provide a way. God will provide for his people. The limitations are no longer there. And we have the power to speak life or to speak death. We're either going to gossip, we're going to talk trash about people, we're going to undermine, or we're going to be on the other hand and we're going to speak life. We're going to lift up. We're going to choose to bless people with what we say. You know, I believe this. If someone is discouraged, you have the power to bring them back to life with the words that you say. It says that in the Bible. The power of life and death is in the tongue. If they are feeling discouraged, if they are feeling depressed, you can speak life into their bodies. You can speak life within their soul that they feel feel a change in their spirits because of the word that you say. You say, no, 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 don't forget. You may be discouraged, but I'll tell you this. You are more than a conqueror. Have you seen the gifts and the talents? Have you seen the call that God has for you? Have you seen the potential? Have you seen the calling? Have you seen the blessing that's around your life? You've got your eyes on the wrong thing, buddy. Have you not seen what God's going to do through you? Have you not seen how God's going to use you? Have you not seen how God's going to bless your business? Have you not seen how God's going to promote you in your workplace? Have you not seen how God's going to heal your body? Have you not seen it? And you begin to speak life. You speak the words of God. Passionate ones are full of praise. They're full of life, amen? We need to be people that speak life. Don't be gossipers. Don't be people that, you know, talk rubbish and are constantly accusing people and undermining people. Don't do that. Don't get on Facebook and write that. Get on Facebook and bless someone. Write a status and say, I love such and such. They did such a good job when I went to the supermarket and they said, I don't know what. But it's just bless someone with the words that you say. All right, those are our characteristics. Finally, we have the attacks against the passion. Everyone say the attacks. The attacks. Number one, familiarity. We become familiar I'll tell you this, this is one of the biggest attacks against God moving. We're wrapping up soon. It's incredibly dangerous. 
When we become familiar, we lose our honor, we lose our respect, we lose our reverence for the things of God. Mark 6 verse 1, I won't read it out, but basically Jesus goes back into his hometown. Back in his hometown, they said, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph? Didn't we see him grow up? Didn't we see him running around? Oh, that, nah, nah, that's not the man of God. He can't heal us. They were familiar with him. Therefore, they could not receive from him. What happened? Jesus says that Jesus could not perform many miracles in that place because of their lack of faith. When familiar, uh, familiarity increases, faith decreases. When familiarity increases, expectation decreases. I'll tell you this, when familiarity increases, the anointing of God decreases. We become familiar with church. Oh yeah, it's just another service. It's just another prayer. It's just another word of God. It's just another man of God. Sometimes we get familiar with our pastors. Dad comes in with a word from the Lord. It's like, oh, it's just Jonathan. Just Pastor Jonathan. We hear from him every week. I'll tell you, that's a wrong mentality. Why? Because the honor is not there. You won't receive from anyone if you don't uh, respect them, if you don't have reverence and you don't honor them. If you're too familiar with them, you won't receive from them. Sometimes we do it because, you know, we, we see them on the everyday. We have coffee with them. You know, we, we, we see them doing the, the, the human side of them. But we neglect the things of God. If dad was a man of God and he was like a monk and he came up into the Turangi Valley and that's where he lived and you never ever saw him. The only time you saw him was he came down on a robe on a Sunday morning, 10 a.m. and he came here and like that's the only time we ever saw him. His beard was growing out. His hair was growing out. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this man, is, this, he has something, right? He, he's, he's heard from the Lord. There's an expectation that's lifted. But because we are familiar, sometimes the expectation decreases. We need to lift off the familiarity and believe for more faith. Amen? The next attack, rules, religion, and regulation. That comes against the passion. Hey, you can't do this. What do you think you're doing wearing that cap in church, buddy? Psalm 104. Should not wear a cap in church. It doesn't exist. It's not in there. <laughs> you can't wear, I'm preaching in shorts and jandals. There's no rules. Sometimes we make man-made rules. You have to wear this. You have to do this. You have to turn up this. And if you do that, then God's going to touch you. I'll tell you this. John the Baptist, one of the most powerful men in the, uh, the Bible there, he's preaching in that, that like, you know, berry wolf thing that he was wearing. That's not shoes. That's not a full suit and tie. No, 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 no. He was a man of God ministering and preaching and just... Um, wild thing that it was wearing. I don't even know what to call it. Huh? Camel skin. How many people come in here camel skin? No one, right? But it doesn't matter about what you wear. God's not interested in the outside. He's interested in the inside. Like It's not about what you wear. I believe we should dress nice. I believe we should take pride in how we wear. Let's not be slobby and unhygienic, please, for the sake of everyone's nostrils. You know, have a shower before church. But I want to say this, it's not about coming to church in a suit and tie. And you have to wear this because sometimes the person in the suit and tie is a lot more living in compromise than the person that's, you know, just coming in the casual surf shorts, right? It's not about what we wear, it's about what's going on in our heart. Nowhere in the Bible is it talking about we have to wear a suit, we have to wear a tie. No, 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 that's man-made rules. 
That's what man does. God says, just come as you are. Just come with a hungry heart. Just come to expect to receive from me. Amen? Amen. It's not about the outside. It's about the heart. God can encounter you more in rugby shorts and a singlet than he can in a suit if you have a hungry heart. It's about what's going on on the inside. It's about your spirit. It's about the expectation. It's about the faith. God is, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without a suit, it's not impossible to please the Lord, right? It's with faith. It's, it's what we come in, right? Let's not be focused about the rules and the regulations, the religion. No, it's about the relationship. It's about the relationship. I love the scripture. It says, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by rules, not by regulation, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by system, not by structure, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not about the rules, it's not about the man-made things, it's about the spirit of God. It's about the anointing. It's not about church, it's not about doing things, it's about God. Church is a building, God is who we serve. That's why we're here, amen? Amen and amen and amen. The last one that I've got here. Is mockery. Mockery. And I believe this is an important one. In each of these stories that I read out, there's always people that are judging, who will mock, who will pull down. David dancing, Michael, Saul's daughter, judged him, despised him. She got barren. When Jesus went to raise the baby from the dead, what happened? It says, she said, uh, 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 Jesus said to the people there, Behold, She's not dead, she's just sleeping. What did they do? They all mocked, they all laughed. They thought, oh, this clown. She's dead, have you not seen her not breathing? They thought he was a joke. It's disrespectful. Our mockery, sometimes we judge. We have hold, you know, you know a, a certain mindset towards people that are passionate, towards people that are preaching, to put, towards the ones that are undignified. Jesus dealt with it. We're gonna deal with it. The blind man, who yelled out. His friends told him to be quiet. There's always going to be people around you that talk rubbish, that hold a offense towards you, that want you to be quiet, that want you to sit down. But I'll tell you this, we have to push past that. And we've got to make sure we're not doing it ourselves. One of the, you ever had like a great idea or like a great dream or something, and you're really excited about it, you're passionate, it's like, you know, either like you're going to do some like workout plan or you're going to do some fitness thing or you've got a new business idea or something. And then you talk to someone and they just like the biggest buzzkill and they just be like, oh, well, what, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Did you even think about this? Oh, you're not going to do this. And immediately your passion levels just go. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe I can't do it. Maybe I can't do that. One of the worst things we can do is when someone is passionate before the Lord, we come in with our cynicism, we come in with our judgment, and we begin to say, oh, yeah, it's just, it's just a phase. You know, they'll come around. It's just a phase they're going through. Don't worry, just give them three weeks. They'll be back to normal. No, no, no. Let's encourage them in their passion. Let's lift them up. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.atonga.com. Until next time.